So we're starting a brand new series tonight, all right? And we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Actually, it's a letter. So we're going through the letter of 1 Corinthians, okay? So we're going to start right at the very beginning. It's a green sheet. There's some uh, notes. And we're calling it God's Body Shop, all right? Uh, If you have car problems, many times you bring it into a mechanic, you pop the hood, and you let them look at it. And uh, so that the car runs smooth and the car runs as it was designed to do. So this really is a letter to make sure the church is running as God intended it to run. And uh, you're going to learn a lot about Many people just think 1 Corinthians is the love book. But, oh my goodness, it really is the love book amidst a lot of things that aren't very lovely at all, if that makes sense. And so we've just come through. Last year we did 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. God, uh, you know, made those people really connect with Paul. Paul had a wonderful relationship with them, and uh, we, you know, we saw that in the letter. This letter is not so much uh, going to be that happy-go-lucky uh, relationship. Why? Because Paul's going to tell the truth in the midst of a lot of people who really don't want to hear it, or they want to hear it as if they were in charge and things like that. So we're going we're gonna to have an adventure here uh, tonight. We're going to start with whose church is in any way. So let me read to you just the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 1, and then we'll jump in, right? Lord, you're going to be here. We'll wake us up and shake us up and get us ready, God, to do and, 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 and in us what needs to be done so that we can be out there, the ones that we need to be for such a time as this. So thank you, Jesus. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to start by talking about, well, how did we get from the Old Testament to the New Testament? And how did the church come about, you know, and and it's funny because through the years, um, Christians have been anti-Semitic, and they shouldn't be. There's no way a Christian, a real Christian, should be uh, have have any have any sense of anti-Semitism, because Jesus was Jewish, okay, and he was raised in a Jewish family. He grew up with the Jewish scriptures. He observed the Jewish faith. So how did we get from the Old Testament Israel to the New Testament the Church? There are people that falsely teach, and I'm here to tell you, it's not biblical teaching that literally teach that Israel is no more. Israel has morphed into the church, and so today the church is literally the new Israel. That is not taught in scriptures in any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, God still has promises to keep with his people, uh, the people of Israel. And just read Romans 9, 10, 11, and you get excited about the fact that God's not done with Israel. As a matter of fact, when the church is caught up When the day of what we call the the great snatch, the rapture, happens, God will once again turn to his people, the Israelites, to be the main evangelists in the midst of the great tribulation. So, Israel is not the church. The church is not Israel. So how did we get there? Israel does play a huge part, though, in church history. You know, the old covenant uh, is fulfilled in the new covenant, 
And, and we see that because over and over again, if you just look at the four Gospels, you can clearly see Jesus, and through Jesus, you can make an easy connection to Israel and its history. Jesus spent time in Egypt, right? Uh, he entered the Jordan. Uh, he was tempted in the wilderness. He called 12 apostles. The 12 apostles, of course, are, are, are in context to the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses spoke on Mount Sinai. Jesus spoke uh, on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. He literally, Jesus in the book of Matthew, which was written, really written to Jewish, to Jewish Christians, uh, Matthew, it says that Jesus preached five sermons. Well, the five book of Moses are called the Pentateuch. Five books of Moses, five sermons. Uh, Jesus performed mighty deeds of deliverance and confronted the powers here on earth. But in this day and age, uh, well, it, 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 it's not just Israel that can be saved, it's who? Come on, it's all of us. All of us can be saved, and I don't think it's, it's better presented than when Paul said in Romans 1.16, this is what Paul said, I am not ashamed of the good news. The good news is about God rescuing us. I'm not ashamed of this good news because it's the power of God that brings salvation to what? Everyone who believes. Not just a certain tribe, not just a certain people, but what? Everyone who believes. First it came from the Jews to the Jews, and then, what's next? To the Gentiles. Most of us are Gentiles. And yet, he came to his own first. John 1.11 says he came to his own. His own received him not, but to as many as received them, he gave them the power and the position to become children of God. You know, again, I hate, I hate when people call Christianity religion. It's really not. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Um, man's prayers, man's uh, behaviors, things that try to get us to God. The beauty of Christianity is God's story of how he came down to man. He reached us when there was no way we could reach him. And so I hate when people call it a religion, because it's not. It's a, yes, it's a belief system, but Christianity, I would say, is the only belief system in all the world that is truly described as an equal opportunity faith. It doesn't matter what part of the world you were born on. It doesn't matter where you come. It doesn't matter what your heritage or history is. When we stand before the cross, we are all sinners in need of what? Grace. You know, I, I heard they sang it. The inauguration the other day, Amazing Grace. And for a lot of people, that's just a nice, pretty religious song. But it's not a religious song to me. It's my story. You know what I mean? Without the grace of Jesus, I am a wretch. And you know what? I once was what? Come on, I was lost. And now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Why? Because of what he did for me, not what I did for him. And so some people think that they've got more of an advantage or more of an opportunity because, we're, no, in front of the cross, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And none of us, you know, I don't care whether you're young or old, male or female, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, black, white, and every other color, we all need salvation. And in this age, when we receive Christ, whether you're Jew whether you're Gentile, whether you're Muslim, or we, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we all become part of the, the church. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. It began on the day of Pentecost, 
and it will be completed on the day when he comes back to take the church to be snatched in the air. There's still much more for God to do, but the church will be with him. You see what I'm saying? So that's why it's important that we don't mix the two up between Israel and the church. And it's funny because all through the years, that was the problem with the Pharisees, is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were supposed to be God's people to lead people to the Lord. They were putting up barriers and walls that God never put up. As a matter of fact, Jesus tore those barriers down so that we can what? We could have a relationship with them. And, and it really irritates me to the point where I see church people putting up, they don't say, it's not just, just, you know, just open your heart to Jesus. First you have to do this and you have to that, you know, and maybe wear different clothes. And, and it's almost like a lot of people preach, you got to clean up your act first before you come to the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, you know, you never, I've never caught a fish that was already clean, you know, ready to eat. When you catch a fish, there's going to be some cleaning that needs to be done. And that's the process of what God does. When he catches us, we need a lot of cleaning up, right? And, and that's the whole point of sanctification. But stop expecting, please, people, stop expecting people who don't know the Lord to act like they what? They do know the Lord because the world system is totally opposite of God's kingdom. And once we come to the Lord, that's why we're supposed to be uh, of, a different, of a different group. We're now part of a different society almost. And if you look at the scriptures, the church, the word church is the Greek word ekklesia. Want to say that with me? Ekklesia. It literally means called out of to become an assembly called out of like say there's a lot of people here but I might say Joel you Sage and Betsy I, I've now called you out of this group to come and listen and be part of what I want to do see what I'm saying we're called out of the kingdom of the world to now become part of citizens of heaven literally and so in a hence the church is all about was once I was part once I was part of of a system that I was kind of trying to figure out why I'm here. He called me out of that system, and now I'm part of, of his body, his family. His, I'm a citizen of, of his kingdom, amen? So when Jesus said, uh, upon this rock, I will what? I will build my church. He's not talking about bricks and sticks. He's talking about... You and I and flesh, blood, people that breathe and hurt and things like, you know. Because I know we all make the mistake. How many of you said to somebody, I'm going to church tonight. How many of you said that? Or to you, maybe you texted, hey, I, hey, we're going to church as a family tonight. Do you know that that's not, there, there's nothing biblical about that statement. Because we don't go to church. We, we are the church. There is no church. This building is not the church. As a matter of fact, this building is just that. It only becomes a church building when the church inhabits it. You hear what I'm saying? And nowhere in Scripture, I don't care where you look, nowhere in Scripture is a synagogue, a temple, a chapel, a tabernacle, a building of any meeting place ever called the church. The church is never a place. It's always a people. Say that with me. The church is never a place it's always a people. And so, in a sense, one of the 
best illustrations that we're going to see in 1 Corinthians is that we are called the body of Christ. We all make up different parts of that body, but every part of the body is just as important. Because without all of us, the body will be what? Incomplete. So we make up the body of Christ. And, and the beauty of that is that we become part of the body of Christ when we're in right relationship with Jesus. He's not only the head of the body, we also have the relationship that is like a groom and a bride. Tiffany just got married. Congratulations. You were the bride. But for the marriage to take place, there had to be a, a groom. And so, in a sense, you know why a lot of people sometimes say, you know, well, why aren't we going to be married in heaven? Well, the reason is, is because marriage on earth is only a picture of a relationship so intimate and so close where two become one that in heaven, and, 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 and don't, please don't, we love each other here on earth, but don't ever say to your partner, you complete me. You fulfill my every desire. Because there's no human being who can do that. So in heaven, we won't need a male or female partner because he will be the one who makes us what? Whole. Makes us complete. And so one of the very first acts when the church gets to heaven is the, see, we're not even married yet. We're still only engaged to Jesus because the wedding feast of the Lamb will happen when we, the church, gets to heaven. Amen? So the beauty of it is that we're not just the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And, and that's why, listen to me, it's a group it's, it's, it's from the called out ones. It doesn't just say the church is not just one called out one. It's called out ones. And I hear a lot of people, maybe you've even said it, I heard somebody, I heard somebody say it earlier today. Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. Stop that statement. Not only do you not need the church, you are the church. And you cannot be a Christian as a solo act. Never meant to be a solo, okay? It is only, we are a band of believers. And Christianity cannot be lived with just you and Jesus and the mountain goats up on some hill. Literally, part of our, you know, part of, part of the statement, and this is why it's missing its power to the world, is that we who were not related, born related, made up of all different colors and sizes and shapes and backgrounds, literally become a family. And that should speak to the world because they should see something in us that they'll never achieve because we know we are part of his body. We know that we're followers of Jesus by our love. By the fact that God brings together people you'd never bring together, right? I mean, look around the room. There's probably no other organization on this earth where we'd all be together. But we're not an organization, are we? We're an organism. There's a difference between organization, which is kind of an inanimate thing, versus organism, which is living. And we are the living body of Christ. It's not a solo act. And so we're going to see how every believer and every body, whether they're doing what's right or whether they're doing what's wrong, it affects the health of the body. It affects the, the, the way we're running on all cylinders. Hence why I'm calling this the body shop. And through the years, you know, uh, 
The worst thing, I think the worst thing that ever happened was when Constantine made Christianity the official religion of Rome. Because suddenly now, what was definitely a grassroots body of Jesus, you know, was now almost institutionalized, commercialized, and suddenly had a whole lot of extras thrown in that weren't there at the beginning. One of the things that happened over time is that we are all part, we're, you know what, you are just as important as me, and I'm just as important to you, and what, what happened during the early days after Constantine, they started to put clergy what? Clergy were more important. Clergy had a closer relationship with God than the ordinary people could ever have. As a matter of fact, Marion, you cannot understand the Bible by yourself. You need me because I have this special understanding that's going to be able to, you know, interpret things that you would miss. Nonsense. The same spirit that lives in me lives where? Come on. And the same. Now we all have different gifts and different, and different contributions, but there is not one that's more important what? Than the other. And that's what happens over, sometimes we make, we, we put certain groups on a pedestal, and then, and, then, and then you know what happens? We start to think, well, there's no way I can read the Bible for myself. I need to listen to what pastor so-and-so or this speaker on the radio. And I'm here to tell you, you don't become dependent on any human speaker or any, you become dependent on what? The Holy Spirit will make the scriptures come alive for you. I'm here to shepherd and help you. And really, a good teacher, you know you have the gift of preaching and teaching, is when you can make what might be hard to understand, understandable. That's another thing that just drives me crazy today. People think that, you know, somehow you go to church and if you leave with, your, with a headache because all the words were so big and, and you have no idea what the preacher said, but you can leave going, man, that was good, that was deep. What'd he say? No idea, but my head hurts. Every course I ever had in college, I wanted somebody who could make the hard things what? Understandable. And you really have the gift of teaching and preaching is when, like Jesus, who took the things of, of, of heaven and told stories, parables, to make them what? Relatable to people on earth. Amen? So we're going to see in 1 Corinthians really the importance that every one of us play. And I, I love how God picked Paul. You know, you think about Paul and why God, why did God pick Paul to be the missionary who was thoroughly Jewish? He was so Jewish, he was killing Christians. I mean, he was dedicated to just doing what God wanted him to do. And he thought this Christian movement was something that was getting in the way. And so he was, he was thoroughly Jewish. As a matter of fact, he grew up at the feet, and you would always learn people back then didn't sit in chairs. They actually sat on the floor as the rabbi would sit in the, in the chair and kind of teach, and you'd be at his feet. Gamaliel was probably one of the most famous rabbis of the New Testament time, and Paul sat under his teaching. So, so that might be like saying, you know, I studied under Billy Graham is what that might relate. You know, like I was mentored by, by Billy Graham. I was mentored by him. And so that's what Paul could say. But Paul was not mentored to reach Gentiles. Paul was mentored in Judaism. So you would think, well, his best thing would be working with the Jewish people. And you'd be wrong. The other thing Paul had that the other disciples didn't have is that he was a Roman citizen. 
So while he was steeped in the understanding of Judaism, he also knew the, the language of the, of the, of the, of the uh, Gentiles. He, was, he, was, he could speak Greek. He had spent time talking to the, you know, the philosophers. and the, you know, He knew what was the talk on the street was. So do you see how God took a man steeped in the stories of the Bible, in the stories of Scripture, but also wise enough to be able to know how to speak to the people of today to use him to be the one who literally was out there. Talk about apostle. Apostle means sent one. And Paul was literally sent to do what? To build this thing up, to, to spread the word of what Jesus was all about. And his main audience, although if you look at the book of Acts, he always started in the synagogue. But most of his ministry was done in the town square. I love that church. Most of our ministry, if you say the best of my ministry is done in this room, then something's wrong. Because the best of our ministry should be done where? Out there. Out there. In the midst of people who, who need to know the truth so they can be free. And I'm only doing my job, not if you go leave and say, that was wonderful, I'll stuck in in my Bible and maybe think, no, our job is to do what? To prepare us, not just for life in here, but for what? Following Jesus out there, amen? Any, amen, anybody? So here we are, we're in Corinth, and, and Paul is sent to be the apostle, and so he makes these series of trips throughout Asia Minor, which is today's Turkey, and and he, he, he knows how to reach Greek. He has that idea of Greek thought and Roman thought. So he's preaching Jesus and planting churches not made up of Jews who converted to Christianity, but mostly of Gentiles. Let me hit you with another thing here. Do you understand that, that those of you, see, I'm a baby boomer. And baby boomers at least grew up in a time where you could go to school and things like that. And even if people weren't Christians, they knew enough about Christianity that it wasn't foreign to them. You know what I'm saying? Because even though you may have not grown up a Christian, you would still, you know, everybody knew Christian things because it was so much a part of our society as baby boomers. Today, we are not, I don't think we're living in a post-Christian era. I think we're living in a, in a whole new era that needs to be re-educated what Christianity is all about. See, sometimes we assume that people know more than they no, and I'm here to tell you, the best way to share Jesus with somebody is not to use the words that, you know, that are in, but use words that they would understand to bring the truth. The truth is the same, no matter what, but you have to adapt. I adapt if I'm sharing truth with, with you all this one way, but if Kristen has me up there with the kids next week, it's the same truth, but you, if you don't teach it in a way that adapts to your audience, it goes what? And so one of the things I really hope that comes out of this is that we get more aggressive and even get more confident in being able to share Jesus to those who only use Jesus as a word when they hit their finger with a hammer, okay? That's what my prayer is all about. Let's look a, bit, a little bit about Corinth. Corinth, <laughs> Corinth again, was kind of a place where, where it was thriving, it was prosperous, strategically located, all roads went through Corinth. And so in a sense, Corinth was a place where you might call it Dodge City. or yeah, and, there was, and there was a lot of traffic through it. And with all that traffic, it came a lot of sin. A lot of sin. 
And sometimes people say, well, back then it was just so much easier. I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you that Corinth was not a place you would want to raise your family unless you had to, okay? Corinth was, let me, well, let me just tell you about Corinth a little bit. Uh, uh, it was a place where the paganism was blatant. There was sexual immorality done on the streets. You might think of Amsterdam as a place that's comparable to Corinth. There was idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, female prostitutes, uh, you know, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, and, and, and it, was a, it was a place that was also known for a lot of entertainment. Think of Las Vegas, think of Atlantic City. You know, it was a place where, where people would go to be entertained. It was a place where a lot of people went for sporting events. As a matter of fact, uh, two of the great um, uh, uh, Olympic, it would become the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games were held in Corinth itself. And like most Greek cities, part of Corinth had an Acropolis, which literally means high city. Uh, the Acro Corinth was used as a, as a place where, you know, like, remember the, if you watch the old Daniel Boone shows or stuff like that, when, when there was trouble, everybody went into the fortress. Well, if there was trouble, everybody went to the, to the Acro Corinth because you could fit the whole city up on the mound, up on top, so that you'd be safe, safer from your enemies. But while you were there, you still had the opportunity to do your pagan worship. One of the things at the Acro Corinth was the Temple of Aphrodite. Oh, goody, goody. Aphrodite was the goddess, I don't want to say of love, because that would do her too much justice. She was the goddess of lust. And as a matter of fact, you ready for this one? You think today is so hard? You think today is so bad? Well, this is what happened back, back in, in those days. I want, to, I want to get it right, so let me look here. It, Aphrodite, uh, literally the priestesses, the priestesses would, would live in the temple, and then every night they would go down from the temple into the people so that they could bring people back to worship Aphrodite by having sex up on this mound. Does that make sense? And so, and so everybody kind of rationalized, saying, well, we're, we're doing worship, you know, by having relations with this prostitute. The only problem was is that just as many people who were part of the, Corinth, the church in Corinth were up on that mountain when they shouldn't be. Amen? Nothing new under the sun. Another thing I want to say about, about the mountain, if, you, if you're familiar with the Psalms, in Psalm 121, there's a Psalm that many people quote, and I don't think they fully understand it. They, it's, it's, Psalm 121, verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And there's this idea that we need to look up to the mountains for our help. That's not what it, I look up to the mountains. In the mountains where most of the pagans' idols and most of the idolat idolatrous worship was done on the mountains because that's where most of the pagan gods lived. And so in a sense, if you weren't having a, a good experience and you need a little time away, I'm going to the mountains and you're not just skiing. You're sinning, sin, 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 and now you feel better, you go back down. But it says in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, not the mountains. My, my help comes from the Lord, and he, he's the one who made the mountains, you see? So, 
so there are little ideas and little thoughts like that that, that people still think that if I can just let loose a little bit, then everything will be better. And the only thing that's, that's ever better is uh, the fact that you now have more, more sin to deal with. If you want to read more, and I, I encourage you to do so because that's the best way to get the most out of this. If you read Acts chapter 16, 11 through Acts 18, you will see how the church in Corinth was planted. And basically, when he arrived in Corinth, he met Aquila and Priscilla. They, they were Jews who had been driven out of Rome, who were now believers, and like Paul, they were tent makers. And they, Paul stayed with Aquila and Priscilla for a while, began to preach, starting in the synagogue, but then ended up in the town square talking to the people. Silas and Timothy joined Paul in Corinth, and many Corinthians, including Jews, began to believe in Jesus. Even Crispus, who was the leader of the synagogue, and his household trusted in the Lord in Acts 18.8. Paul was ministering in Corinth for a year and a half. And then Jewish opposition, the opposition of the Jews became so strong that Paul was brought before a Roman tribunal. And since the charges were purely religious, uh, the proconsul of Galileo refused to hear the case. So after staying a little while longer, Paul left Corinth. He brought Priscilla and Aquila with him, and they went to Ephesus. And then he left his friends there. He returned to Palestine. So the second leader, second pastor, Paul planted the church. The pastor, really first pastor that planted himself in Corinth, was a guy named Apollos. Remember that name. Apollos was an el I mean, Apollos was, let's just say Paul was the tent maker. Many people say he was kind of short, bald, had a hard time seeing. Apollos could have been on, you know, the GQ magazine. He was the cool, you know, spiky hair, skinny jeans pastor that every, all the women would go, ooh, that kind of thing. And so everybody, now he, he, he had come to know Jesus and, and then had come to Ephesus where he met Aquila and Priscilla and started preaching there. And although he loved God and was mighty in the scriptures, there were still some growth that he had to have. There were some doctrinal deficiencies. And so Aquila and Priscilla literally discipled Apollos. And then Apollos ended up with a letter of recommendation from Ephesus to go become the pastor at Corinth. Got all that? Well, that turns out to be one of the major problems of Corinth. That's still a major problem today. Because if you have a church that says has several different leaders, then there starts to be this thing called factionalism, where people start kind of relating to one, forgetting the fact that we're all on, come on, we're all on, listen to me, my enemies are not the Baptist church or the Methodist church or Revolve or Coastal. I wish them great success in what they're doing. You understand what I'm saying? They're not the bad guys. But people start to do this. And, in, and we're going to see this in the weeks to come. There were a group of Corinthians who said, well, we follow Apollos. We don't care what Paul Schmall. We love Apollos. I mean, his preaching, the way he delivers, whoo, I can't get enough of Apollos. Others said, well, forget Apollos. Was Apollos one of the 12? Uh-uh. We follow Cephas, which was another word for Peter. We're Peter people. And we got, see, you got a pot. He came later. We got one of the originals. 
We got the original 12. And then there was the really, really holy group that said, we don't follow Apollos. We don't follow Paul. We don't follow Peter. We follow Jesus. And we only do what Jesus tells us to do. Which, by the way, he said he would let us know that through his servants. But, I digress. How many of you have ever heard, this nonsense, I hear it all the time. People want to be really spiritual on me. So they say, well, you know, we preach only from the word in our church. We just use the word. And I know what they're trying to say. Like, you know, we don't use any books. and We don't tell a whole lot of stories and things like that. We only preach the word. Do you understand that if that's going to be the case, then all I would do here tonight is have you open up your Bibles and I would read 1 Corinthians to you and you would, because in only preaching the word, make sure the only words that come out of your mouth are what? This. Because this is the only word we have. To my best recollection, none of us are divinely inspired because if we were, we should be taking notes and adding it to the book of Revelation when tonight is over. Once you bring any commentary, you are now being just like everybody else in the sense. And that's why it's important that the ones who are bringing the commentary have been number one, saved, and number two, have the gift. Because that's the best. And unfortunately, we live in a day where some people are preachers because they couldn't find a job anywhere else. And it's sad and we laugh, but I'm here to tell you there were guys in my class who I said, Oh, dear God, Lord, help the church he ends up pastoring. And we're sometimes afraid to say, you know what, buddy? I love you, but you're boring. You know, and, and, and we forget that this is a gift and a call and a ministry, and every one of us need to do the parts. But one of their problems, and they quarreled, and they all came up with camps because they were all, they were split. And no good, I mean, it's bad enough that we have a world that's all messed up. What happens if a messed up church tries to minister to a messed up world? Well, things just get messier, amen? So what Paul was trying to do is to tell them, hey, you're working out in the wrong gym. You're building the wrong bodies here. We got to get to the truth. We got to get to the fact that, and I love it because, uh, see, uh, again, in coming has the church to the word if you never get a little, you know, a little, little, if your toes never get stepped on or you don't ever feel a little uncomfortable, you're not reading the Bible. Because it's okay to feel uncomfortable. When I read this book, I sometimes go, ouch. And sometimes we only want, only preach the good parts. I want to feel good when I leave. I went for a biopsy the other day, and, and it wasn't all you know, lollipops and roses. And I didn't feel good when I left, but I want to be what? I don't want to feel good. I want to be healthy. How about you? I want to be a Christian. I want to be somebody who, who is fulfilling the call on his life. And that nobody in this, we don't lack any of the spiritual resources we need. We're going to see that. We have everything we need to be the people God called us to be for 2021, I know that it's not 1940. I would much rather live in 1940, but God has called us to 2021 for a reason and a purpose. Just like he called believers to live in Corinth and be believers. So Paul, let me read it again, first three verses. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus by the will of God 
and our brother Sosthenes will explain that next week, to the church, whoa, 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 who does the church belong to? To the church of Corinth, no, what's it say? To the church, come on, to the church of, who does the church belong, whose church is it? It's God's church. To the church of God in Corinth. To those called out, set apart, sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be a, of a different kingdom, not the kingdom of this earth, but the kingdom of heaven, called to be holy, together with all those. It's not just a local church. Your local church is part of a bigger church, a universal church, where everyone who calls on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is part of that. And grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we're on an adventure together, people. You know, I've been thinking about, you know, this is the time of the year. 2020? Are you kidding me? It, it was like a year like no other year that I've ever been. I've, I've been a full-time pastor since 1982. And I can tell you, I was never taught how to pastor in the midst of a pandemic and political chaos. And yet I was. Because, again, it all comes down to doing, it's God's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. And if it's God's church, then what we need to do is to stop using, you know, gimmicks and, and, and tricks and things like that. You know, I'm not saying the method, you know, the truth needs to be the truth. But we don't have to trick people into heaven. We don't have to somehow, you know, hey, come to church, accept Jesus, and we got a brand new car for you. And that's like, we don't have to do that. There's, you know, and, 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 and yesterday, today, forever, this isn't, the success of this church is not up to the elders, not up to the deacons, not up to the pastors, not up to you. It's up to who? The Lord and us obeying him. Yesterday, today, and forever, it's his church. It's God's church. And I, I, I'll, I'll tell you this, and people know this, somebody, and they say it all the time. Hey, what's going on at your church? And right away I'll correct them and say, hey, my church. Nope, it is not my church. It's, it's his church. It's God's church. And I'm not trying to be super spiritual, I say, but the day it becomes my church, all of us should just run for the hills. Because it's his church. What do I mean by that? It's his authority. It's his will. It's his direction. It's his touch. It's his blessing. It's his anointing. It's his, you know, again, uh, some of you came to Christ in the midst of a, maybe a huge rally with a concert. Some of you came to Christ with your mother or father praying at your bedside. But the most important thing is that what? That you come to Christ. And once you come to Christ, now you're the best, the, the worst thing you need to do is get involved in what? A, a, a local body where you can, Build up yourself and build up others through it because it's his church. And it's when we start getting, see again, I, I, and this is a fine line. I, I, I want to close, I'll close tonight with this, with this story. Uh, how many of you remember the name Chuck Colson, Charles Colson? Chuck Colson, uh, Watergate, exactly. He was one of Nixon's men. He was arrested. He spent time in prison. As a matter of fact, the prison ministry and, and, and Angel Tree and all those things we know about prison ministry today came about because of, Chuck Colson's time in prison. He's no longer on this earth. He is in glory. But I got to hear him speak several times, and I just, I love that man because he was no-nonsense. I like no-nonsense people. I'd rather have people tell me the truth 
rather than, you know, all that. Well, Colson once told the story, and, and, you know, I've been at these churches, and I don't want this church to be one of those churches. Does that make sense? Colson said when he was early in his ministry, he was asked by this big church, and, of course, his ego got stroked a little bit because back in the time, this was back in the time before cable, and every, you know, back in the time where certain churches had, I'm not going to name it, but certain churches had television ministry. And so he was called to speak to their two services, 9 and 11. Boy, wonderful times to have service. And he was called to speak to both those hours, knowing full well that they were going to choose one of those to be on their next week's broadcast. And so the first hour, man, Colson felt the Spirit of God. I mean, there are those rich times when you know it's not you. Spirit of God is pouring out, pouring through you. You just know that, that, that God is moving. There are sometimes I feel like God's saying, shut up so, so I can do my stuff. Get out of the way, Rudy, so I can do my business. And Colson said at the close of that service, he felt like he didn't even need to give an invitation because people were responding. They were coming. They're crying at the altar. You know what? That's awesome. And things just felt so good and closed out the service. And, and then one of the, again, this church, the senior pastor was just way too important to meet with Colson. So he sent one of his representatives. And during the time where he thought he was going to hear, wow, look at the lives being changed. Look at it. He heard nothing but criticism. All right, that might have worked for this hour, but we, we need something we can use on television. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to do this and do that and, and make sure when you stand here, you're looking right at the camera. And by the way, at the end of this service, our senior pastor is going to come up and put his hand around your shoulder and, and just kind of, and you're going to do the invitation together. Well, the second service, it, it, it felt forced. It was forced. I mean, everything, the same, you know, same points were made, but there obviously was no presence. And at the end, the pastor, he put his arm around, and they called for an invitation. And how many people came forward? None. When Colson was getting ready to leave, uh, he said, by the way, are you, which one are you going to use on the, on the television? Guess one, which one they chose? The second one. Because it was done right. It, was, it, it had the gloss. It had the finesse. But it didn't have the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus has letters to the seven churches in the beginning of the book of Revelation? Most of those churches looked highly successful to everybody around them. But who cares what anybody else thinks if Jesus is not glorified and held in high esteem in our midst? Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want, I, that doesn't mean we're not creative. It doesn't mean, you know, uh, the bands and all that God has given all these talents, but just make sure that none of it gets bigger than Jesus. Because this is not our church. This is his church. And the gates of hell will prevail against them if it's our church, but it's his church. And that church is still the church triumphant, alive and well. Why? Because it's his church. It's his church. And what a time for his church to go out and show people who Jesus really is. Amen? So fasten your seatbelts. We're going through 1 Corinthians. Amen?
Father, as we close, Lord, I, I have to be honest. I, Lord, there are times I just say, I can't, it's not about manipulation. It's not about manufacturing things. I, I want your spirit, though, to be set free, to be unleashed here. And it's not just always about emotion, because we can do emotion, but it's, it's about transformation. God, if we're not becoming more like you, in a sense, if we're hoping that for us to change, the world's got to get better, we're, we're, we're looking at the wrong future. Because the world's not going to get any better unless the church is the church. Being the church. Not a building. Not an organization. Not a big television show. It's us being Jesus. Loving people like Jesus would. But also telling people like Jesus would what the scriptures really say. What a time to be alive. I wouldn't choose it, but you have chosen to put us here for now. So tonight, I want to do what I do pretty much every day. I bow down and I say, I surrender. I surrender my ingenuity. I surrender my creativity. I surrender. I surrender our elders, our pastors, our leaders, our deaconesses, deaconesses, everybody who I, 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 I surrender every member of this flock to your care, Lord. And I come against the enemy who wants to thwart it, who wants to paralyze us, who wants to plunge us into, into living with only so many spark plugs firing. Are you ready to say to Jesus, pop the hood, God. Do your work in me. Let's worship.